Hello, this is Dr. Tia Barnes, and welcome to the Scholarly Self-Care Podcast, where we will talk all about the SEL, or social-emotional learning, in self-care. This podcast is for educators, parents, and caregivers of children and youth. Each week, we will talk about your well-being to put you in a better space to support the well-being of the children in your life. Ready to get started? Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Mr. David Adams, who is doing phenomenal things in the area of social and emotional learning. David is the Senior Director of Strategy at the Urban Assembly. He previously served as the Director of Social Emotional Learning at the Urban Assembly, and prior to that, he has been the Social Emotional Learning Coordinator for District 75, where he shaped the district's approach to social emotional learning for children with severe cognitive and behavioral challenges. He has worked internationally in schools in England, standing up and evaluating programs for positive behavioral supports and social emotional learning as a research intern at Yale University's Health, Emotion, and Behavior Lab. And he's published multiple academic papers around the relationship of social competence, social emotional competence, excuse me, and student academic and behavioral outcomes. David is also the co-author of the Educator's Practical Guide to Emotional Intelligence, which was published in 2020. And we'll definitely talk more about that, David. And he is married with two children. He serves on the board of directors for CASEL, which is the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. And he is a civil affairs officer in the Army Reserve. David holds a master's of education in educational psychology from Fordham University. David, welcome to the show. Dr. Tia Barnes, I'm very happy to be here today. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited to get into our conversation. Yes, definitely. So first and foremost, your bio is a mouthful. You've done so many amazing things. I see your name everywhere in the space of social and emotional learning. And so I wanted to first just hear your story. Tell us about how you came to this area and just about yourself. I appreciate the question. So I've always been really interested in understanding student achievement. How how do students approach learning and, and what are the, the drivers of that learning? And so when I was at Rutgers University, I was exposed to this notion of social and emotional learning skills by Dr. Maurice Elias. And I started to really think about what are the underlying competencies that drive learning? How do we understand learning not as a set of content-related experiences, but as a set of learning experiences and, and approaches to learning that don't just focus on what happens in the classroom, but what happens overall? And, and then I learned about social and emotional learning, and it turns out that the skills that underlie social and emotional development are not just focused in the classroom. They're focused on things like preventing drug use, promoting positive interactions. They, they start to connect to things like mental health. They connect to academic outcomes, marriage outcomes. They, they connect to the likelihood that you're going to be using public housing, the likelihood that you're going to be arrested. And so it becomes this kind of collection of skills, competencies, and attitudes that drive not just what happens in the classroom, but the types of approaches that we have in life overall and the way that we solve problems. And that was so exciting to me. So I started out at Rutgers. I was exposed to these notions. I moved on to the Center for Social Emotional Education in New York City, where we thought about this idea of school climate and how it relates to social emotional skills that need to be activated. Uh, as you said, I was working at the Yale Health Emotion Behavior Laboratory, where I started to really focus on implementation 
It's not just the idea of it, but how do I move these ideas through a social system in schools? Then took those ideas and implemented it in District 75, where um, students had really severe challenges around social emotional development. And then moved out of special education here at the Urban Assembly, where we took some of these learnings that we developed over the last 10 years and applied them to skills, schools at large, general education spaces in New York City, California, Tennessee, et cetera, where we help people really understand how do you organize schools around the systems and structures and concepts of social and emotional and academic development. So what we do now is we help schools organize themselves around these ideas, embed these concepts into instruction, into behavioral supports, into extracurricular activities, um, into social emotional supports, so that when our students leave our schools, they know how to solve not just math problems, uh, but the problems they're gonna face uh, in life as well. I love that. And so as I definitely wanna go a little bit more into that, especially your link to special education, because that's something that we haven't discussed much yet on the show, but that is also an area for me. So my background is in special education, and we've also actually done some work with District 75. And so I definitely wanna get more into that because I think for a lot of educators, they tend to have a little bit more trouble in considering how they can support students with disabilities through SE, through social emotional learning, which is usually presented as like a universal um, intervention just given to the entire class. And so we can definitely talk a little bit more about that. But before we get into that, I want you to talk about how do you describe social and emotional well-being? So what's your definition of it? Yeah. So we think about social emotional learning in the simplest forms is how I relate to myself, how I relate to others, and then how do I use those skills to solve problems? Right. So if you think about challenges with mental health, we're seeing challenges in terms of how people are solving problems of emotional regulation or people solving problems in terms of social interactions. Right. So there are two kind of contexts that you need to to operate on in order to operate effectively uh, in the world. I need to relate to myself effectively. I need to relate to others effectively. And then I need the capacity to solve problems when they arise. So that is what social emotional learning does. It gives you the skills, attitudes and competencies uh, that allow you to do those two things, relate to yourself, relate to others and solve problems in those domains. I love that. So now let's talk a little bit more about the social emotional aspect. From your experiences in working with students who have special education needs specifically, what advice would you give to educators out there who are trying to grapple with how best to support students or parents as well? Well, I think the the beauty of social emotional learning at its best is that it gives us a framework that describes the end state around how students should be functioning in an asset-based way, right? So if you think about a student who's giving uh, or displaying challenging behavior, right? If you're doing an FBA, first you identify the problem behavior, then you identify the replacement behavior, and then you reinforce that replacement behavior. What social emotional learning is focused on is not about the problem behavior. It's just saying, look, no matter if you have special needs, whether or not you're typically developing, we all need to be able to manage our emotions. We all need a sense of personal responsibility. We all need to be able to interact in a group, in a community, and have effective communication skills. So I'm not going to wait until you demonstrate need to explore these ideas with you. I think one of the things that special education has given the education field is this notion of making the implicit explicit, right? And we talk a lot because we (laughs) am currently having conversations around the role of gifted and talented education uh, and equity. And uh, I'm going to put this out here, gifted and talented as a field education has not even come to approach what special education has given to understanding the under educational processes in students. Lucy Calkins just recently shifted her 
her reading materials back to phonemic awareness approaches because that was the approach that was developed with the students with dyslexia. That was the approach that is demonstrated to actually help students read. That came out of special ed. PBAS came out of special ed. Universal Design for Learning came out of special ed. So I just want to give a shout out to all of our special educators out here, right? You are the ones who understand learning because the best way to understand learning is to work with students who are having difficulty with it. So the same thing is happening in the context of social emotional uh, development. We understand social emotional development when looking at students who are struggling to develop their social emotional skills, students with autism, students with classified as emotional disturbance. And the thing that we have learned from this space is that we need to be explicit about the outcomes we are looking to generate and then create opportunities and experiences for students to practice those skills, debrief those skills, and understand what it looks and sounds like, right? So I'll give you one last example of this. We, when you think about students, students being able to manage their emotion needs and emotions effectively, right? That is not a special education standard. That is a person standard. Now, students are on a spectrum of being able to do that in, in effective ways, right? Being able to activate that skill under conditions of emotionality. And special education students may need more prompts. They need more under scaffolds. They may need more practice, right? But the concepts are still the same. So I want to just give a shout out to our special educators out there. I know sometimes that uh, you guys feel overworked and under underappreciated that you're put on around IEPs, but not really appreciated for the skill that you bring to bear. From my perspective, everything, most of the educational innovation in, in this country has come out of the special education field and social emotional learning is no different. Understanding the developmental trajectory of students, understanding that students with autism can often feel lonely. They can often feel frustrated that they cannot engage in their peers in effective ways. Moving from teaching skills as discrete kind of concepts to teaching holistic concepts and domains of social emotional development and putting those concepts in, in, in play and then creating experiences in our classrooms that, that allow students to interact with that. So I'll say one last thing on that. I was working with uh, students one time, uh, students with autism, mm -hmm. and and uh, I think we, we, we missed a day of school and our students were feeling we were frustrated. They were acting on behavior. And one of the outcomes of social emotional learning is students um, achieve higher levels of independence and have the ability to set and achieve goals. Uh, that is a goal for all students. The developmental disability field and the disability field has made that an explicit goal for students with developmental needs because they were actively denying the ability to demonstrate the independence that they had, right? And so that is what we are looking for for all of our students. When we're looking at that student with autism, we're realizing, wow, are we putting these scaffolds into place to make him a better student? Or are we putting these scaffolds into place to make him a better person? Because if this is just about him operating in my classroom without having any issues, we're not actually getting to that independence, right? And so these are the kinds of concepts that we need to pull from our special education context. These are conversations that we need to pull from our special education disabilities field and realize every single student needs to be able to demonstrate independence. Every single student needs to be able to demonstrate self and social awareness and management. And when we contribute to society at the, at the most challenging areas of our population, those learnings are going to benefit all of us. Oh, David, I love, love, love what you stated that. I think me and my work, because I was trained in special education, then moved more into this social emotional field. And I feel like the two worlds haven't yet come together. So when I talk to social emotional researchers and folks working in that area, it's kind of like, oh, we're creating this thing. But I was like, but you know, special education has been doing this thing mm -hmm. for so long as well. And so I'm so glad that you, you know, so eloquently discussed that. I'm wondering now, 
when I consider this in terms of teacher ed mm-hmm. and how, again, it's so separate in terms of thinking about general educators and special educators, what what would be your advice or what have you, if maybe you've come across this in working with different folks, uh, ways that we can help in supporting or supporting or encouraging collaboration between special education and general education to support this idea of social and emotional learning? Well, it's a big question to you. I can tell you this, right? I think the, the predominant difference that I've seen in terms of special educators, how they're trained and general education teachers, how they're trained, special education teachers are trained to understand learning and understand the processes that drive learning, right? So talk about task analysis, talk about understanding how students access concepts, Right. And then build bridges to to these concepts that meet students needs. Right. Here's where our students at. Here's the concepts. What are the scaffolds that we need? And then how do we remove those scaffolds over time? I think general education teachers, uh, particularly in, in the high school context, are trained in content. Right. What is it that students need to learn? And so what what I think the big contribution special education brings to bear is that there are social and emotional dimensions of learning. Vygotsky talked about this 50, 60, 70 years ago. These dimensions of learning can either be ignored or they could be kind of being frustrated. They could be kind of looked at as things that I need to get rid of so we can get to the content or they can be harnessed. They can be channeled. They can be used to, to light a fire under the learning process. And I think what our special educators need to understand is that they bring skills to bear on kind of breaking down learning into these kind of components. If, if you're doing a turn and talk or a, let's say, a Socratic dialogue, there are social and emotional skills that students need to have in order to participate in that. Uh, they need to be prompted. They need to be scaffolded. They need to be taught. So the major thing that I think special education and special educators do is understand the intentionality that needs to take place, understand what are the implicit kind of processes that are creating challenges in our, in our students for learning. And then we need to just channel that and make them explicit. Learning is the process of making the implicit explicit, right? Uh, making those things explicit, understanding what it means to be able to take turns in a conversation as an indis- independent, discrete skill that would allow you to then access the content in a turn and talk, right? Oh, you guys, you know, you're not speaking well to each other. Well, let's take a minute. Let's learn about active listening. Let's prompt active listening. Let's debrief that skill, right? And then we can use content, Johnny Appleseed, wherever we need to, to practice what it means to listen to each other. So I think what we're seeing is that a lot of educators are, are taking for granted these these discrete skills, attitudes, and values that play a large role in teaching and learning, right? Even, even for the educator themselves, you think about wait time. You know, this is a simple concept. Ask a question, give people time to think about it. But folks struggle with this, not because the concept is complicated, but because we're impatient. That's the social emotional skill set of the teacher, right? It has nothing to do with students. It's just when you have that impatience well up, you need to be aware. You need to have self-awareness, take a breath, maybe narrate it out loud and said, you know, guys, I was going to say something, but I'm going to give you wait time and give your students time to think, right? So the, the I think the key here is, is taking these implicit processes and making them explicit. When you do that, you give power to the students, you give power to the teacher, and you give power to the learning that's going to happen because we understand what these processes mean. 
Wonderful. Love that. So you mentioned emotional skills. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that. I know you have a new book out. So congratulations on that. The Educators, <laughs> the Educators Practical Guide to Emotional Intelligence. So let's talk a little bit about your book. And before we get into the book, can you explain what emotional intelligence is for folks that may not? Um, sure. Right. So emotional intelligence uh, refers to a theory that uh, was developed at, at Yale University. Uh, during the 1990s by Peter Salovey and Jack Mayer, who kind of posited that there are multiple types of ways of solving problems, right? If we think of intelligence as our ability to operate in problem space, there are different kinds of contributors to our ability to operate in problem space. And emotional intelligence is the ability to use your emotions to facilitate problem solving, right? So they came up with a model that focused on five main categories of or skills that facilitate emotional intelligence, recognizing emotions, understanding emotions, labeling emotions, expressing emotions, and then regulating emotions. And so when you think about what emotional intelligence is, is being able to harness your emotions in order to solve problems. And, and that's the, the theory that came out. It was popularized uh, by the book EQ by Dan Goleman. It, it, it helps kind of spur the creation of Castle. And we're drawing from that theory in this book, The Educator's Practical Guide to Emotional Intelligence, to help teachers to recognize that their emotions can help them solve problems. And their emotions can help young people solve problems as well, because emotions are information. And when we use that information to solve problems, we're better problem solvers. And that's what intelligence is. I love that. So I wonder, in terms of the book, two questions come to mind with this. One is, that sounds like such an important topic, and the audience is going to be on this show is both educators and parents. Do you think that the book could also be helpful for the parents? Because it sounds Absolutely. like- Absolutely. Now, we, we, we include kind of scenarios in the book that really demonstrate how to use these social emotional, excuse me, emotional intelligence skills. But the, the concepts and the frameworks are universal, right? The the book is based on the the original theory. I, I co-wrote it with Dr. David Caruso, who is the publisher of the Mesquite, which is the uh, assessment for emotional intelligence. And so the concepts are are universal, but the the application may be specific to teachers. But I think parents would get a lot out of it because understanding how to map your emotions, how to match your emotions, how to create meaning out of your emotions, these are things that we all can can develop and we can all get better at. And I love the um, idea of this book because I think for me and my work around just social emotional learning, emotional intelligence, it's been that the adult social competence, the adult social or emotional intelligence plays such a big role in their ability to help um, the children in their lives, which is, I guess, also the point of this podcast as well. Something that I wanted you to talk a little bit about, because I actually worked at the Center for Emotional Intelligence. I didn't know that. Yes, I was a postdoc there. What I think would be interesting for you to talk about a little bit is what do you see as the connections between emotional intelligence and social emotional learning? Mm. So the emotional intelligence is really focusing on how we take in information and how, how we understand emotions as information um, and then use them to facilitate problem solving. I think when we talk about social emotional learning, we're also talking about the development of competencies and concepts around social interactions, right? So emotional intelligence helps kind of facilitate social interactions, but it's not necessary to, to the theory, right? So 
I can, for example, learn uh, or do a really good job at managing my own emotions. And that can help me in social situations, right? Because it helps me make better decisions. But social and emotional learning would actually help teach me decision making, right? The first step of many social emotional skills is to know what you're feeling, because uh, those impact how you uh, engage in the world. But I think on the social part, we we spend more time really speaking of, for example, how to how to value others in a community, how to understand the role and values of, of others in a community, how to understand effective communication skills, how to understand how social interactions and processes are unfolding so that you can kind of understand the social norms that underlie them. And then you can attune yourself to meet your goals. So I think the, the emotional intelligence piece tends to fall really uh, clearly under self-awareness, understanding my emotions, self-management, being able to regulate my emotions. And then we talk about social and relationship skills. Those things are derived, they're applied emotional intelligence skills, and we teach them directly in the context of social emotional learning. What is What does a good relationship look like, feel like, sound like? All these things are going to be based in your emotional intelligence skills, right? If you have poor emotional intelligence skills, it's going to be hard for you to actually think about, for example, how to, how to maintain a good relationship because your perspective taking skills and uh, your ability to understand other people's perspectives are not where they need to be. Yeah, yeah. I, I would definitely agree with that. Thank you for sharing that. I think it would be important for the audience to get a better sense of, of it. And um, as we're bringing up these terms. So the next question I have for you is, what's one message that you want to share with others about social emotional wellness from all the amazing opportunities you've had and things that you've done so far in your career? What is the one message that you think everyone needs to know? Well, I think the most important thing that folks need to know is that these things are within your power to develop. It's, it's not a question solely of who you were born to or your, your disposition, although those things do matter. These, these things are within our power. We are empowered to develop our understanding of, of perspective taking. We can develop our self-management. We can develop our decision-making. It just needs to be intentional. So even the most challenging student or the most challenging child can get better. Now, he may not be or she may not get like 100% better, right? It may not go from zero to like a million, but they can get a little bit better. And that little bit better compounds upon itself over time to allow that, that child to solve problems. And I guess the other thing I would like to, to, for people to understand is that uh, this is about solving problems, right? The social and emotional learning is about helping folks to solve problems in more effective ways. And so when, when you have these skills, uh, and then they activate these skills. You, you can move forward in the world that in, in a way that is in line with the, your goals and allows you to participate in community. So I think sometimes people, they want to talk about this as if it's like, you know, this is just about making me feel good about myself, or this is just about me meditating. This is about problem solving. When you talk about mindfulness, a mindfulness is a way to better tune yourself to your body so that you are understanding how you're feeling and then you're moving intentionally throughout the world. Now, the problem that's solving is when we don't move intentionally throughout the world, we're not meeting our goals, right? So to me, these are skills that every single person can, can develop, every single person can work on. And if you've ever had a problem in terms of relating to yourself or relating to others, these are skills that can help you too. I love that you said that because as you're talking about everyone, I'm like, I can hear some people saying, well, I'm, you know, 50 years old. You can still develop these skills. Like, I love that you are pushing that message. And then also when you made the connection in terms of linking this work to problem solving and linking it to a broader or, or bigger goal in mind than just 
I'm meditating because it feels good to do that at this moment. I think it's it's so important. And it's definitely something that I want everyone to realize and pick up is this idea that in thinking about social emotional well-being, it's not, it's something that's a must. You know what I mean? It's a must for us to move in the places that we want to be and to be successful in the way that we define success. It, it plays such a big part in that. And so though I feel that now the message is becoming much more um, prominent and people mm-hmm. are becoming much more aware of it. I definitely don't want it to fall into the category of, oh, that's just you know a trend or that's just another nice thing, but to continue to be something that we're pushing as very needed because it is. Right now, we're seeing a lot of teachers really struggling with burnout. They have a lot of things on their plate, right? And so we identified this problem of burnout is I am not effective at my job, right? I am I'm not doing my job in ways that actually uh, move outcomes. Then the answer is, okay, well, how am I engaging in in self-care? How am I engaging in in opportunities to revitalize me so that I can be effective for my job, right? The goal is not to, to pull out and go home. The goal is to know how I can, what I need to do so that I can be effective. And, and that's that problem solving. We can't just sit at the, oh, you know, I'm, I'm burnt out. I'm, 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 not, I'm not here. The answer is I need to activate some of these social emotional skills and concepts that I learned so that I can be effective. If that's my goal to get into the classroom and inspire young people and I'm burnt, that's not working. So it's just important that we are solving problems and these are skills that facilitate problem solving. And when we're good at these skills, then we have people who are solving all kinds of problems, you know, solving problems with me feeling burnt out, helping solve problems in my community in terms of conflict resolution, solving problems with my kids in terms of making their beds and cleaning up after themselves and developing a sense of personal responsibility. These are the kinds of things that we need to pursue if we want to raise up a generation of people who are willing and willing, ready and able to contribute to our societies. Very important. I love that you're bringing that up. Something else linked to that that just came to mind as you were talking about the fact that, you know, was the idea of emotional intelligence playing that part when you're talking about burnout? Because I said, I, I'm thinking in my head, a lot of adults are not even necessarily aware that they're burned out. Mm-hmm. So having that emotional intelligence to and that self-awareness to be able to even realize when you're at a space is so important as well. So can you talk a little bit more about your own self-care journey? Because I know you started talking about the importance of that, particularly with burnout. And you do a lot of things in terms of your, your job. So what has been your self-care journey and what are some things you've learned along the way? Uh, so let's see. I, I went into COVID. Let's see, we went into quarantine like eight months ago now, seven, eight months. And the biggest thing that I missed was basketball, right? Like basketball was my way to to hang out with my guys and, and shoot some hoops and relax. And so I kind of replaced that a little bit with going to shoot hoops with my dad and my sons. We started playing basketball outside, started riding bikes. Then I found a group of guys, took their phone numbers down because I was desperate. It was like asking guys on a date, like, hey, you want to come back to the same court next week at one o'clock? They're like, I don't know. You're, you're, you know, you're being a little bit like, you know, let's, let's make this happen. Let's make it a date. Uh, so now, you know, I've kind of reconstructed a group of guys who we can play basketball with, get that exercise out. Exercise is very important to me. It really invigorates me, keeps my mindset, keeps me, keeps me focused. So those are the things, you know, I think the number one thing that I do for self-care is exercise. Another funny story is, is speaking of the army. So we had six months, the gyms were closed. You couldn't go to the gym. 
the army reserve decided we have monthly drills. We're, we're going to do all virtual. Uh, the first drill that we come back to like, and the first thing we're going to do is height and weight. Make sure you're within your army standards for height and weight and then do a PT test. Uh -huh. right? So I'm like, oh, okay. Luckily I passed. I made my height and weight. Uh, COVID <laughs> didn't get the best of me. But, but exercising is just really important to me. Really, it keeps me grounded. I take my kids out. We ride bikes. Builds bonds, builds connections. You know, bonds are built in times of difficulty, and and kind of simulating that difficulty on the basketball floor it gets me it gets me close to that. So self care has been a really important thing for me. And thinking about when I'm when I'm not feeling like I'm not doing the things that I need to do to to move this field forward, move our, our communities forward, uh, I sit down and 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 think about those who have contributed. To me, being in this space, those are my ancestors who, you know, who sacrificed for us to be here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel motivated again. You know, my, I got to do at least as good as that. And, and and I'm trying to. Yeah, you definitely. I mean, you're doing a great job. You are. You're definitely doing a great job. So one of the other things that I wanted to definitely discuss with you, because you've been doing a lot of work in the area, is just specifically around social emotional learning and equity. Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted us to, to save a little bit of time to talk a little bit more about that. Can you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've been doing and just about some of the things that you've been learning in that. Yeah, area. yeah. I mean, I, I, I think one of the, the gifts of social emotional learning is it gives us language. And the language of social awareness is that students demonstrate the uh, appreciation of the role and values of others. Mm -hmm. right? and, and when you start out with that notion of demonstrating appreciation for the role and value of others in your community, the, the next question is, who is in your community? Uh, and why? And, and how did they get there? <laughs> yeah. And those are the kinds of questions that I think drive the, the conversation around equity. But we are at a place where we have come to a reckoning around how our nation has imagined our community. And for folks of color, it's been clear to us for a long time is that we have not been part of that community. We were not imagined as part of that community. And we have spent generations fighting to earn our place in that community, not because we didn't deserve it, but because that was the birthright of, of all Americans. And so I think when we talk about equity, we need to talk about community. People will talk about busing, they'll talk about gifted and talented, they'll talk about schools, they'll talk about anything under the sun to not say, I don't want to be in community with these people. I don't want to be in relationship with these people. And that's what I want to have a conversation about, right? I want to have a conversation about the actual com the topic. If you believe that we are stronger uh, together, if you believe that folks can come together and, and, and reimagine ourselves and create a narrative in which all people can see themselves as part of the American social fabric, if you believe that respect comes from our ability to create and recreate systems that raise us up and empower our, our, our young people, then, then we're going to have a conversation about what that means in the context of the community. And I, I don't want to talk about suburban wives. You know, I don't want to talk about all, all the dog whistles that, that people use mm -hmm. uh, to, to put the fact out or to discredit the fact that there are folks who don't believe that we as Americans can be in community with each other, yeah. uh, that we can come up with a, an identity that binds us uh, beyond race. Mm -hmm. And I disagree. I, I think what makes America great um, is our ability to redefine ourselves, is the blood of, of the men and women who pushed us to live to live up to those ideals of community. And what's going to continue to make America great uh, is our young people and our people today who look at each other and say, we can do this. You know, we, we can do better than what we're doing. And I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be in community with you. I want to be in union with you. 
And that is where the social emotional skills to facilitate those unions, to facilitate that community are going to come to play. The perspective taking skills, the active listening skills, the management skills, those are where the social emotional skills are going to come because it's those people who have these skills and have those values and have that moral clarity, right? Who are going to move us forward and say, hey, you know, I know you said we couldn't do this, but I think we can. And so I invite everybody, you know, who's listening to your podcast here uh, to look at themselves and ask themselves, you know, what's going to take to live in community with our brothers and sisters of, of different colors and races and genders and backgrounds and sexual orientations? What is it going to take to be in community with these folks? Because I think we can do it, right? It's going to take some talking. It's going to take some some uh, some some hurt, yeah. right? But we're going to come out of the other other side. And we're going to look at these people and we're going to say, hey, you know, I don't understand why I was making a big fuss because they hold the same values that we do. They believe in the same places that, that we believe in. And it's going to be that process that reimagines our country and reimagines our community um, in a way that's more inclusive, that, that brings justice mm-hmm. to, to our, our, our folks and, and finally lives up to the American creed. Langston Hughes, America was never America for me. But I swear that America will be, right? And and, and it's people like you and there's people like me who will make it be. Yeah. So I'm excited about that, you know? And and that's where I think we talk about equity and SEL. These SEL skills are going to be the things that help facilitate the values. If you teach perspective taking to young people, they will start to value the perspective of others. Mm-hmm. Um, if you teach uh, young people how to communicate effectively and communicate respectfully, they will start to value respectful communication and discourse. If you teach people how to be aware and value others in the community, they will be aware and values of others in the community. And we are an American community and every group of Americans has contributed to this nation. And that's what we need to focus on in order to move forward. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think definitely I, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. I did some work recently for my university around conversations on anti-racism and linking it to social emotional learning. And I had originally planned it to be like a two-part with the first part more of like, these are the skills that we build around social emotional learning to prepare us for the conversation. But I feel like in the second part, again, it was just completely linked completely linked to the social emotional learning skills. And I'm like, this is the answer. This is what we need, you know, to be doing here. And and because now you have this book out to provide educators with some of those, you know, initial skills in terms of the emotional intelligence piece, I think that is is definitely going to support and help them with that. In thinking about parents, do you have any suggestions, you know, as a parent and then also as an expert in this field about how parents can support um, their children in terms of social emotional learning and specifically with that equity lens? Because I know there are parents out there who are even afraid to discuss, you know, some of the the racial tensions and, and things that are happening in our communities. And so what advice could you provide for them? Well, I mean, I think the the, the most important thing parents can do, first of all, um, is model the, the skills that they want their young people to demonstrate, right? Mm-hmm. It's nothing for me to tell my kids to do three pull-ups a day and, and sit on my butt. That that's just not going to work. That's not how it happens, right? So you know, you are your 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 child's teacher. What you do is way more important than what you say. How you treat people is the most important thing that your child learns from you in terms of how to treat people. So I think the first thing that I would say to parents is know what your values are, know what you care about, and then act intentionally to represent those values for your child. And if you do it enough, you might just kind of represent those values for yourself as well. 
I'd say the second thing is, you know, so many of these conversations in our country fall down on people's emotions. People feel bad that we did bad things as a country. It just is what it is, right? We can't go back and change our, our history. It's, it's a part of who we are. And so we need to just accept the emotion. It's not something that I got to go out and hide from. It, it feels bad to know that bad things happened in your name. But the, the goal is not to just dwell on that. The goal is to say that we can do better, we can be better. And so let's do that. Yeah. But we can't, you know, we can't hide from that emotion. I guess I, it's a funny thing to me when when I listen to people talk about politics, uh, there's so much emotion that underlies these ideas. People are like, that's a stupid argument, you know? These people are dumb. Well, they're not really making an argument. They're, they're expressing their emotional states and they're maybe using some policy things to try and describe how they're feeling, right? But they're feeling left out. They're feeling like they don't they don't matter. They're feeling like the, the country has passed them by. And those are the things that drive your thinking, you know, motivated reasoning. Those are the things that, that drive your decision making, how you're feeling. Mm-hmm. So I would I would just say that we need to just sit with this emotion and say shame, guilt, frustration, anger, those are all valid emotions. Uh, those are information about what we did and why we did it. Now it's time for us to set some goals about who we want to be, right? And how we want to be in the future about community. Um, and use those emotions to fuel our, our motion, our movement forward. Uh, so I, I would say those two things, right? Model what you believe in and don't be afraid of emotion. It, it is, if you ignore it, people are still going to feel it anyway. So you might as well raise it up, process it, and then use it to move forward. I love that. So it's not that we're trying to protect, you know, folks from any sort of what we would in some senses call negative emotions. We know that all the emotions are valid, but it's instead, you know, accepting the emotion for what it is and then processing through it to then move to the next um, step. I love that. Absolutely. When we talk about problem solving, right, we the problem that we have right now is that we are not living the ideals of our nation. Yeah. Right. And if, if your emotions are stopping us from moving forward, we need to process that. Like, I got you. Right. And then move towards the goal. Mm-hmm. Right. So I just I appreciate what you said right there. We just we can't get stuck in emotion. Some people just want to hold themselves in a field position and cry themselves to sleep. It's not moving us forward. It's not constructive. It's not building anything. Uh, we need to say it. And America, you know, to be fair, we are not that good at like naming things as they are. Right. <laughs> we We teach history that doesn't actually reflect what happened to our people. We, we try to make ourselves feel better. And by ourselves, I mean white America feel better about our, our history because we don't have a narrative that can include both our, our struggles and our successes. But this is an experiment. We're an American experiment and we got some things wrong. And it was folks who were clear, who had moral clarity, moved us forward. Mm-hmm. And I would just say to your listeners, you know, if, if, if your emotions are stopping you from moving us forward, then emotional intelligence skills are going to help you and they're going to help our community because we need to move forward. And you know, something else that I'm thinking about is how you talked about how emotions are what are underlying a lot of the arguments that we're making. And it brings to question or brings the thought to my mind of do people value emotion? You know, because I wonder if as you're saying that, you know, someone's going to go on Facebook and see a comment from somebody that is completely the opposite of how they feel about a particular topic. And again, fall into the, they're stupid, they're wrong, they're whatever it may be. And even if you bring in the idea of, well, what's the emotion behind it, where that goes. So it just brings me to that that place of 
how much do we value emotions or how much do we realize how we can use emotions in our relationships or to support our relationships? I think the, the greatest fallacy of psychology was this idea that we experience the world through a cognitive lens, mm-hmm. right? We experience the world through a social and emotional lens and our cognitions are driven by what we feel and who we feel it with. And so I think that challenge of not appreciating or respecting emotions is that we came from the Enlightenment age in which reason was the way uh, to understand. And it is. But we have to understand that our reason is influenced by our emotions and how we how we feel about those things. So if you watch the conversation uh, today, you'll see people going back and forth over nothing (laughs) because one person feels aggrieved and they want to express their aggrievement. And the other person feels oppressed or frustrated or disrespected and want to express that. Mm-hmm. And, and you think it's an argument about policy, right? Or whether or not healthcare um, should be a right, but it's not. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a question of, do I have a place in the society? Do I feel like I'm connected to these people? Do I feel like these institutions represent me? And when you understand the emotional content, then you can actually talk to people in our ways. Our biggest challenge is that we teach kids to understand things through cognitive kind of processes. And that's just not how humans operate, right? We pretend, (laughs) we write really important op-eds, you know, (laughs) but we're just people who want to belong to a group. We're people who have emotional responses to things that drive our, our thinking. And when we respect that, we will have a whole level of discourse that that is completely different from what we have today. If we could elevate that, we could respond to people's needs and do the things that we've been talking about all uh, all the show. We just solve problems. You can't solve problems if you don't have the right problem statement. And if you think the problem statement is you know a policy question, it's it's probably wrong. People want to feel right, and when we're doing the best we can as leaders, uh, we're helping people feel things that are constructive to our communities, that are constructive to our society, and constructive to our nation. So, to answer your question, I think people disrespect emotion. I think people think that emotion takes us away from what we really care about, but we really care about emotion. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Because we hear it so much, like leave the emotion out of it and let's just discuss it. But yeah, that is the key, and that is you know what is going to lead us to that problem, to the real actual problem. That's wonderful. So is there anything else that you want to share with the audience? I know we only have a couple minutes left. Anything else you want to share that you think would be helpful for for teachers or parents to know? I believe in I believe in public education. I believe in the power of schools to shape our, our youth and how they approach problem solving. I think to the extent that we are really engaging in social emotional concepts in the way that we organize our schools, we're going to continue to move our country forward. I think as teachers, as learners, as parents, as politicians, we need to think about what kind of citizen, what kind of person uh, we want in our communities and then organize our systems to produce that kind of person. And, and when we do that, we will be able to solve the problems that are constraining our growth as people and as a, as a community, as well as unleash the potential of, of our young people. So uh, at the end of the day, I'm an optimistic guy. I am optimistic in our future. As I said before, you know, when I'm feeling frustrated, all I have to think about is those who delivered me here. And if they could envision me here, then I can envision a better future for us, right? And I know they envisioned me here because I'm here. Yeah. If it wasn't for their effort, it wasn't for their 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 passion, their energy, their culture, their music, the, their religion, their resilience, 
I can't, I couldn't be here. So I owe it as, as much to the future generation as, as those who've given it to me. And I look forward to joining with those who want to uh, participate in that journey together. Thank you so much, David. That that was amazing. And, and thank you so much for sharing um, this knowledge. This is definitely an episode I'm going to go back and listen to time and time again, because you have dropped some gems here. So the last thing I wanted to do was just uh, have you give us some information about where our listeners can engage with you. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at dadams underscore SEL. That is dadams underscore SEL. You can find me on LinkedIn as David Adams at the Urban Assembly. Uh, you can hit me up on Facebook at David Adams. And if you want to shoot me an email, my email is dadams at urbanassembly.org. I'd love to hear from you guys, the work you're doing around social emotional learning and equity and how you're inspiring uh, young people to envision a different future for our country. Thank you so much, David. And I will also include all of that information in our show notes so folks have it. And yes, please reach out to David. Let him know how much you love this episode. I'm sure this is going to be one of the favorites. And thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thank you, Tia. Thank you for all that you're doing uh, in behalf of our educational community and on behalf of our community as a whole. Thank you for your work. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please visit drtiabarnes.com for show notes. And while you're there, feel free to leave a note. I'd love to connect. If you like the show, subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about it. Don't forget to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. Thank you to ColetteMcKenzie.com for providing podcast management services for this show. See you all next week. And as always, take care. Take care.